is when you talk about the anchor point and a bow and arrow, it's so important you know where the anchor point is. So I'm going to try to do this. If you shoot a bow and arrow, don't get mad at me. I'm doing the best I can. So if you have a bow and arrow, your anchor point has to be in has to be consistent so that you're on target constantly. So I want to try to show you where that's going to be. When you pull back a bow and arrow, the anchor point is around your face, and that helps you pivot. It's going to be hard to hear me for a second. But the more consistent your anchor point is, the more consistently on target you are. Now, if you look where my anchor point is, it's where you pull the bow back. So last week, we got a solid base. We knocked the arrow on the string so that we could pull it back, and now we're at our anchor point. And if you look where my hand is, it's on my face. Now watch out for that, that, that string on the bow because it'll clip that ear. But for real, for real, when I talk about the anchor point, when I look at the anchor point, I see my mouth. And I want you to know for your God-centered relationship, Christ is the anchor for your relationship, period. But for the relationship of those around you, the anchor point in your life is the words you speak from your mouth. And that's what we're going to talk about today is this anchor point. So we've set up on a solid foundation. We're knocking the arrow to release well. Now we've got to get the words out to help us do that. So if you've got your Bible today, we're going to be hanging out in James chapter 3 of all places, the brother of Jesus, James chapter 3. And we're going to talk about this idea of the anchor point. If you don't have your Bible today, I want to tell you, when you come hang out with us, we'd love to send you one free for the asking. If you're online and you would like one, shoot us a, a, an email or a comment. I would like a free Bible. We'll get in contact with you. We'll mail you one if you don't have a Bible. We'd love to get one in your hands. I love that our Vine production team will do all they can to make sure that the scripture is on screen wherever you're watching throughout the week. But some folks like to do things digitally. So I love that we partner with the Bible app each and every week. And I want to show you how you can follow along with us on the Bible app today. So what you want to do first is download the Bible app from your favorite app store. After you do that, you want to open it up. Now, once you open it up, you're going to click on the More tab. Once you click on the More tab, you're going to see something that says Events. Click on that. Make sure your location services are on. Then you're going to see the Vine TV worship experience. You're going to see the title of today's message, The Anchor Point. And you're going to see all the scripture we're going to walk through, a place where you can uh, take your own personal notes, but also some places where you can connect with us throughout the week and ways that you can connect with us if there's any way we can pray for you or serve you in any way. So let's get to James chapter 3 and start with verse 9. James chapter 3 and start with verse 9. And let's see what James says about this anchor point that we walk through. And it says this, With the tongue we praise the Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings. Who have been made in God's likeness. The last time we, we got to hang out, uh, the, two weeks ago when we got to hang out, I talked about how in the world can we judge each other because we're all made from the same stuff. We're all dirt, dust of the earth. We're dirt of the earth, made in God's image. So how in the world can we judge somebody that's made in God's image? Because we're all a bunch of dirt bags. You didn't know you were going to hear that. I just built you up and said God loves you and I called you a dirt bag. I'm sorry, but that's it. We really all are just made in God's image. And that's what James is talking about here. With a tongue we praise our Lord and Father. Verse 10 says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring 
produce fresh water. What, what James is talking about is that old proverb in Proverbs 18. I think it's like verse 21 we talk about. The power of the tongue can bring life and death. He's saying, how in the world can we praise God on Sunday morning and get out to the parking lot and curse somebody on the way to get lunch? We can't do that. Our words are so important. The words we speak out over others and the words we speak into the relationships that we're part of, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. James is saying if we are in Christ Jesus, we are to speak life, not death. We cannot be cursing one another. Now, I'm not judging you by saying that because I mess up on this all of the time. Let's be real. I believe we all do. And so we can see that in this, we can't judge anyone because we're a dirtbag just like they are. But only by God's grace can we become exactly who he is shaping us and molding us to be. So today we're going to be hanging out a little bit more in James 3, but I've got a lot of places. If you're taking notes today, this is going to be a, a, a thing where we just lay some more foundation and a time that you can take a lot of notes. So I'm going to be real with you. So uh, this might be one you want to go back and watch later. I'll just be honest with you. So if you're taking notes today, I want to talk to you about the mouth being the anchor point of release. But the reason that James is talking about this in James 3 is I can tell uh, the depth of someone's relationship by the conversation I have with them. So in other words, uh, <clears throat> cold call. Uh, somebody calls you. Hey, how you doing? Good. How you? Good. Let me tell you why I'm calling. That's not a deep relationship, is it? Has zero depth. Like it's just something that's whoop, no depth. Uh, it's just ready to go. It's transactional in nature. But when you say, "Hey, how was school going?" Specifically, how did chemistry go for you this semester? All of a sudden, there's some depth. There's some authenticity to the relationship. Our words that we speak are important. Our conversations that we have are important because they speak to the authenticity and depth of our relationship. And if we're completely honest, if we don't have deep relationships in our life, we don't have a big quality of life, do we? Our quality of life is diminished if we don't have deep relationships. So I want to start by telling you the types of conversations that we have, all right? And well, these will come quickly at you, so hang in here with me. There are going to be three of them. The first is uh, social talk, social talk. Now, this is an easy one, social talk. This is what we project. This is how we talk culturally. That's that baseless conversation. As a matter of fact, social talk for each and every one of us would be the image we project on social media. After it took 50 pictures, we put the perfect one up there and act like it was the first time, right? Like that was it. Like when you finally got the dog or you finally got your baby to look at the camera, that's the one you post online, not the, the three hours you tried to get them to look at you, right? Like that social talk, it doesn't have much, much depth. It's surface level. And what happens with each and every one of us, we have to understand that that's the first type of conversation that we can have. The second one is family talk, family talk. Now, whether you realize this or not, if you're married, you understand this. If you've ever been in a relationship, you understand this because you've gone through a Thanksgiving or a Christmas, okay? Your family has its own language, its own dialect. Whether you realize it or not, your family talks to each other. So the inside joke that everybody gets that you don't get, there's nothing like the first Thanksgiving or first Christmas. If you're going to visit the either future in-laws, current in-laws, or the family of the person you're dating, 
It's kind of weird. You feel outside looking in, don't you? You don't get half the jokes. You don't know what's going on. You pay attention to the weird grunting they do when they eat, and you tell your significant they don't. They snort when they laugh, and they, they're like, "No, we don't snort." Until they get older, and they realize, "Oh my goodness." They snort when they laugh, like, oh my goodness, right? Like, your family talk is important because it's the conversation that you have. So not only do you have a social conversation, we got to know the differences in the conversations we have, we have our family conversations with family talk. Our third one is what we just spent our mastermind series talking about is our self-talk, our self-talk. That's the third type of conversation that we have. It's what we have and say to ourselves. It's our internal dialogue. That's why we talked in our mastermind series about rewiring our brain to be focused on the kingdom of God first. As a matter of fact, there was a study done by Harvard for four-year-olds. I see a lot of folks, okay, I'm not on social media much. Don't get mad at me. Uh, I do follow up with a message for your comments. I will promise you that. Uh, but if you follow me, you're just like, man, he's not on there as much as he used to be. I know everybody's doing like a candy challenge or something. I don't know what that is. And I'm probably like 12 weeks behind on that. I'm sorry. But what I want to share with you is Harvard did a study of four-year-olds. And what they did is they put them in a room full of toys. This was like 2016. A room full of toys. And they said, if you don't touch any toy for 20 minutes, you can take two toys home with you and keep it forever. Now, this is how self-talk is important. What the, the four-year-olds didn't realize is they were all mic'd up. The few that got to take their two toys home talked to themselves the whole time and talked themselves out of it. Like, they saw, oh, the Transformer! Like, oh, it's Optimus Prime. <laughs> like, it's right there. Oh, I can touch it right now. Oh, but I can keep it forever if I don't touch it. And they just started looking at these four, and for 20 minutes, they realized and they talk about, and it shows us how we talk to ourselves matters and they talk themselves out of touching those toys and they got to take two of them home so just imagine that just imagine that your conversation with yourself matters so just like i said conversation you have with society the conversation you have with your family the conversation with you that you have with yourself will literally determine your quality of life and so what james is talking about when he's talking about determining our quality of life is if we seek the right way we'll speak the right way. In other words, if we'll seek the kingdom of God first, we'll speak the kingdom of God to everyone we come in contact with. We're going to learn in a minute what he says outside of that uh, as we go to James, continuing that in just a little bit. So we know what types of conversations we have now. Let's be honest. Why do we find communication hard? Why is it so hard to communicate sometimes now if we're angry sometimes it ain't hard to communicate is it I mean it is not hard and that's not of the Lord we're going to find out here in a minute it ain't hard to communicate when we've had enough it ain't hard to communicate when we're walking through things those those things that are social dialogue those are easy to go ahead and blast a comment on Facebook or blast something that isn't going to hurt you it doesn't really matter right for family it's a little bit much you can become reserved because you know you got to have Thanksgiving and Christmas with it. with yourself it can become even more reserved at times can it so why do we find communication hard well this is a great reminder in the times we live in Number one, unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. Realistically, it's the difference between where we are and we thought we would be. We talked about this in relationship goals in our marriage series. I'm, I'm looping a lot of these back in because I want you to see how God's been building up to this series called Arrows. Uh, in relationship goals, we talked about it in married couples. And here's a prime example. 
Uh, for me, it's the toothpaste. If you've ever been married, you understand toothpaste. Do you squeeze from the middle or go from the bottom and roll it up to the top? I am a penny saver. So we go from the bottom and roll it up to the top. We're going to use every ounce. If there's a little bit of toothpaste in that tube, by golly, I'm going to get it out. I'm not going to squeeze from the middle and hope that whenever it runs out. Like, I, that's me. If you know me, that's it. Hey, as a matter of fact, too, uh, uh, ladies, you know if a guy grew up with girls in the house because the toilet seat will either be up or down, right? You can always tell that if somebody's done that. Or the thermostat. God forbid the thermostat. The biggest argument of all in any relationship. So the reason this matters is the unmet expectations is the fairy tale that we had about the relationship we're in and realistically where we are so we can't communicate well with each other because of it, because of unmet expectations. We put an unmet expectation upon that person that they can never really fulfill. The second reason we find communication hard is fighting fatigue. Now, if you've ever been married, you've walked through that. If you've ever been in family, you've walked through that. So what in the world is fighting fatigue? Fighting fatigue is when you know someone enough that you've had the same argument over and over again. If you have a, if you have a, uh, a child, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room, clean your, like, it's just constant. You're just going over and over and over again, right? Like, if you're in a relationship and you don't have kids, if you're in a marriage, there comes a point, let's be real, it's probably around year seven, just putting it out there, in my 12 marriages, it was around year seven, you know, <laughs> That's how we roll. Uh, but around year seven, honestly, it could be before, but you've had the same argument time and time again enough that you already know what the outcome is going to be. And what leads to divorce most of the time is that same fight over and over again. So you just keep in a constant circle of fighting or what ends up happening is you shut down and the relationship's over. You have fighting fatigue. So we find communication hard because we have unmet expectations, but we also, also walk through fighting fatigue. And last but not least, Weaponized words, weaponized words. We find communication hard because of weaponized words. What do I mean by that? We have all said reckless things and received reckless things, haven't we? Like each and every one of us have. If I'm completely honest with you, I've shared, I've shared with, with, with me what's going on. I've shared a lot about me. I've talked about growing up playing sports. So forgive me here. I'm going to be the old guy that talks about his high school days for a minute. But I've talked about how weaponized words have affected my life. But I'm going to give you really one, one example in my life. So I remember uh, when I was going in high school in ninth grade, uh, I was going to Dorman. And uh, I, I remember I, I wasn't... Uh, by the time I was in 12th grade, I was pretty strong. You can't tell it now, but like I was pretty strong in 12th grade. But in 9th grade, I wasn't that strong. So I remember uh, I was going to weightlifting for the first time in 9th grade, weight training. All right, they had 185 on the bar. And uh, man, I just couldn't, I could not, I could not get it more than once. Like I got it once and after that, like I was shot. And I remember the guy who was spotting me put it up and this 12th grader who started on the varsity, started, looked at me and said, you'll never play a down of football at Dorman. You're not good enough. You'll never measure up. <clears throat> my first pancake in practice was him. I'll give myself that. But on the second thing, I will tell you this, how that affected my life was this, okay? I did play more than one down of football by God's grace. I did get to play sports. I'm not telling you that to try to one-up you. What I'm telling you is that word weaponized me. What it did is it took a negative word and it drove me to be successful. Here's how that played out in my life. Eventually... Eventually, the negative words for success stopped coming in. So how do you think I motivated myself? I negatively 
talked about myself. I negatively projected a negative image on myself to try to drive myself to be successful. And how that's played out in my life, and maybe that's where you are right now, is there came a moment in time as Jesus is working on me through this, I realized that it's not the negative words that I should be focused on. I heard Perry Noble say it this way. Pastor Perry Noble said it this way back in the day. He talked about the first time he stepped into therapy. And his therapist looked at him and said, if you talk to other people the way you talk to yourself in the mirror, you would have no friends. That's what changed for me when I realized how negative I was being to myself. I tried to motivate myself by negative self-talk. So when I talk to you about mastermind, about rewiring your brain, I'm still a work in process in there. What I'm trying to tell you, my friends, is we have positive communication, as we have communication that speaks life. I want you to know that Jesus died so that you could have joy. Jesus died so that you could be set free. And you can't have real joy in your life if you're not happy with a person you see in the mirror and you talk down to it all the time and you tell it everything that it's not. It's not possible. The same thing is true for the person sitting on the other side of you in a relationship. You can't walk through unmet expectations and fighting fatigue because it will just lead to weaponized words. And so James goes on to talk about what we can do with that and how in the world we can speak well. And starting in verse 13, he says it this way, James 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and self-ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So in other words, if you're just trying to make yourself look better in a conversation or a relationship than you are about building the other person up, you are literally demonic. I wonder if that plays out in the world we live in right now. Just putting that out there. We have to not harbor envy or bitterness. Instead, when we do that, we deny the truth. Verse 16, for where you have envy and self-ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What James is saying here is when we speak our words, we can either speak it from earthly wisdom that will lead to turmoil, that will ultimately lead to death. Or we can speak from heavenly wisdom that will lead to peace and ultimately life. So I wonder if we realize the power of our words and how they affect us and how they affect everyone around us. I've heard it said this way, and this is how I've grasped it. When I speak to someone else, I can either open their spirit up to take the next step God's called them to take, or I can close it down. Now, their obedience is not up to me, but my encouragement to them to walk with them through that next step is up to me. And so what James is saying right here is when you speak earthly wisdom, you shut someone down and they will not take the next step in Christ. Your obedience, once again, their obedience is not on you. 
But I'm telling you, God placed them in your path for a purpose. And if you will help them have an open spirit to help them and walk with them through that next step that Christ has them all to be exactly who they were created to be, all of a sudden your life will have so much fulfillment. It will be filled with so much Jesus. It's not even funny. You will see transformation not only inside of yourself, but in everyone around you. And my friends, that's what living a life on target is all about. And so James is telling us that this is how we do that. So how in the world do we become wise speakers? How do we become wise speakers? Because James says, have godly wisdom. So how do we become wise speakers? So this is uh, very practical today. Uh, How do we become wise speakers? So we've talked about our conversations. We've talked about how it's hard to have conversations. Now we're going to talk about how we can have wise words and how we can become a wise speaker. Number one, plan tasks that lead to conversation. Plan tasks that lead to conversation. For each and every one of us, we have to plan tasks that lead to conversation. In other words, set up a game night. Do something with your family. As a matter of fact, I'll tell it to you this way. Um, How many folks have teenagers in the room? Okay, yes, how many folks, okay, here's going to be 100% participation. How many folks have been a teenager? Yay, everyone is. How many folks still are? It is okay, it's all right. You can put your hand down. So you've either been a teenager or had a teenager. Let me tell you this. If you're a leader, you're leading teenagers. If you're a parent with teenagers, uh, we're praying with you. We want to walk with you through that in any way we can. That's why we're so thankful to start up our Spurs student ministry this year is we're going to keep growing in that. I want to tell you, for teenagers, you remember when kids were little and you could ask them what they learned at school, parents, if you've ever had a teenager? Man, they were ready to tell you everything. They get to an age when they're a teenager where it just don't happen now, does it? This is why I'm talking about planning tasks to lead to conversation. You're going to see where I'm going here in a second. Well, the reason that that teenager isn't, I'm giving you my experience. I don't know. But the reason my experience as a teenager was that is I literally had been through the, my entire day was faith, fear, acceptance, rejection, just a roller coaster as a teenager, discovering who I was created to be, walking through all that. So if you ask me how my day went as a teenager, I could never put it into words. I couldn't articulate it. Like there couldn't be a novel. You couldn't watch a four hour movie that I could tell you how my day went about. I couldn't do it. And yet so many times I remember how frustrating it would be. And parents, I'm sure it's so frustrating because you just want to love and help your teenager, but you can't understand why won't they tell me how their day's been? The reason is they can't. <laughs> they can't put it into words. So you got to plan tasks that lead to conversation. You want to have some conversation with anyone of any age, put some Legos in the middle of the floor. I know that sounds crazy. Don't leave them in the floor because at 3 a.m. you're going to say that it's not going to be earthly wisdom. You're going to curse and you're going to have some bad things to say about them. Put some Legos in the floor and watch people gather around them. Break out a card game. Break out a game night. Break those things out and watch this task lead to conversation. As a matter of fact, when that happens, do what they like to do. Uh, studies, show, studies show that many times if you will do task with some people, some people, I'm one of these people, if you'll do a task with me, I will open up like a book to you. But if I'm on a task, it, it's hard for me to open up. Maybe I'm just stuck in my teenager. It explains so much, but maybe that's what it is. But for each and every one of us, we got to plan tasks that lead to conversation with those we love. Do tasks with them. As a matter of fact, if you have a teenager, do a task with them. Do a task. They love football, throw a football with them. Talk to them about their day. Watch the difference. They like baseball, throw a baseball. They like band, 
Uh, ask them, hey, you may not be able to play an instrument, but get them to play something for you. Watch how that opens up. Completely change perspective. Because when you do that, what you're doing is you're earning their attention before you give your opinion. And if we're completely honest, that's the hardest thing to do, isn't it? It's the hardest thing to do. Because if you just did it my way, then you would see it my way. And if you saw it my way, then maybe we wouldn't be in this place now, would we? <laughs> but when we plan tasks that lead to conversation, we do that. As a matter of fact, that's, that's something that for all of us, we can be better at. Me specifically, I'm working on this too, trying to plan tasks that lead to conversation because I'm a task-driven person. What I mean by that is we all have a difficult time. For, squirrel! See, ADD, right? We have a difficult time focusing, right? It used to be that you could see like five minutes of a show and they'd have a, a 30 to one minute commercial break. Now all of a sudden they're cutting it down to three minutes. Our attention span is shrinking. We have a hard time focusing. So when we're doing a task together and we plan tasks that lead to conversations, it's amazing how much more we get done. What I mean by that is, uh, ladies, I'm going to be honest with you, uh, so I'm gonna, I can't speak for all men, so I'm going to speak for me so I don't get berated here. But men, uh, we, have a, we have this thing called, uh, you know, squirrel ADHD, and I call that men because that's what we have. We are one-track thinkers. There are some men that can multitask, but most of us can only be on one channel at a time. I'm going to be real with you. We can only flip during commercial breaks. Like, it's just, it's not, we're not picture-in-picture picture people. We love to think, like, we love having 17 TVs set up, but I'm telling you, we're probably only watching one. There are a few men that can do that, and they are very gifted. But for me, I'm one, I can only finish one thing, and I want to complete it 100% before I move on to the next one. I just have, that's why I make my bed every day. I got to have 100% on something every day before I go on. Like, I do that the first moment I wake up, I make my bed. I have a task done I feel like I can build on that so ladies what I'm trying to tell you if you want a man's attention I'm not touched it's not my love language but I'm telling you wherever you are if you've got a male counterpart fist give him a fist bump touch his shoulder if you're married now rub the back I'm not putting it out there but rub the back whatever that is we're gonna leave room for the Holy Spirit otherwise but rub the back physical touch will get a man's attention immediately Ladies, you know this already, but it'll get a man's attention immediately. What it does is it helps us change the channel to tune in to you. Otherwise, we're going to look on everything else. Screaming from the other room ain't going to get our attention. To be honest, it's just not. It's not. I know that that sounds tough, and I know I'm not married, but marriage counseling, that's what I'll, screaming for the, it ain't going to work. It ain't going to change the channel. All it's going to do is I'm going to turn the volume up on the channel I'm watching just so that I can drown it out. I'm sorry. I know that that's terrible, but I'm speaking as a man. I'm telling you that. Okay, so ladies, there's some ways to plan tasks to lead to conversation. Touch the shoulder, give a fist bump. If you're married, leave room for the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, rub the back, okay? Uh, men, men, this is for us. This is for us, okay? If you want to show ladies in your life that you love them and that you earn their attention before you give their opinion, now this is going to sound kind of counterintuitive, but it's the truth. It's the truth. Listen to them and pay attention to them when they're not in the room. Know how to serve them. What I mean by that, plan that date night. Don't make her plan it. When you know she's headed for a terrible week or a rough week, just be there for her. Go do the dishes. 
Go do the laundry before she gets home. Learn to listen and speak. Don't make her come back 17 times telling you the same thing 17 times. Because it's as frustrating as it is for you, I'm sure it is for her. I'm not, a, I'm not a lady. I'm not a woman, so I can't tell you, but I'm sure that's why. And you may think it's nagging, but it's because you never listened to her in the first place. So if you want to see, see your relationship flourish, men who are married, <clears throat> if you want to score some points, uh, learn to listen and pay attention when she's not in the room and serve her and watch how your relationship will thrive. Just watch it. She don't need a fist bump. She don't need a back rub. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So learn how to listen and pay attention when she's not in the room and watch what God does through that. So bonus extra credit. I'm going to zoom through these. These aren't going to be on the screen. But because of that, plan, conversation, plan tasks that lead to conversation. Here are three conversation killers. Here are three conversation killers for us. Not going to be on the screen. Extra credit, free of charge. I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, it's not in the packet for the seminar today, okay? So it's not it. So extra credit. Here are three conversation killers. Number one, interruption. Interruption. Have you ever had the fight and you just keep interrupting each other? That's why I can't deal with those debate shows half the time because I never hear anything. I just hear people yelling the whole time. Like somebody make a point, then give a counterpoint, then give a counterpoint, then reconcile. Like there's got to be something in between. The interruption, what interruption does in your conversation is it says to the other person, you are powerless and I'm in control. And I want to tell you right now, powerless people don't talk. Powerless people don't open up. Powerless people fight constantly. That's what powerless people do. And so if you want to kill a conversation, interrupt each other all the time. I'm not married, but married couples will agree. I'm telling you 100%. Teenagers, you want to kill a conversation with your parents, interrupt them all the time. Watch what happens. Number two, intense interrogating. Intense interrogating is a conversation killer. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Now, sometimes in some ways you got to do it. I get it. I get it. I will tell you back in, back in my career days, I used to have someone who would come in uh, and <clears throat> try to make sure I do this lightly. Uh, they would come in and their job was to intensely interrogate people to get them to the truth. And I want to tell you something about intense interrogation. It won't get you to the truth. It never does. People will say what you want them to say so they can move on when you intensely interrogate them. They will. Eventually, you think you've broken them down, you've just broken them. That's it. Intense interrogation does not work half the time. Now, sometimes you got to be in there. When they're constantly lying to you, I get it. Sometimes you, that's how you have to open them up is to get to the intense interrogation. I get it. I get it. But most of the time, I want to tell you, if you're in an intensely interrogating relationship, you won't out of it. You'll run from it at all costs. You'll run from it at all costs. Because it, what happens is you shut down and they shut down. Number three, conversation killer, irregular interaction. Irregular interaction. What I mean by that is consistency matters. Here's the thing, here's the thing, especially in all of our lives. Even if you interact with someone once a year, if it's consistent, you'll build trust with that person. If it's irregular, you won't. I try to learn that. I don't do that perfectly well. If I'm trying to lead someone, I try to be as consistent as I can be. If I'm trying to be led, I want my leader to be consistent. Doing everything I can. Be as consistent as you can be. Having irregular interaction kills trust. The reason I know this, when parents are divorced and they're sharing custody with children, if one parent is not consistent, that child has no trust for that other parent. They have trust for the parent who's consistent. 100%. 100%. Be consistent, and that will help you in your conversations. 
Number two, number, so here's the question. Before I do this, hang on. The question I ask myself, and it'll help you as we keep rolling on, sorry, is this. If you wanna help when a planning task to lead to conversations is this. Am I demanding attention or am I earning attention? Am I demanding attention from someone so I can give my opinion or am I earning attention to them from them before opinions are given? Because I'm telling you, if I'm earning their attention, I will realize quite quickly my opinion don't matter unless they really value it. So am I demanding attention or earning attention? Number two, kind of goes hand in hand with number one. Seek to understand before being understood. That is a mouthful, isn't it? Seek to understand before being understood. If you want to be a wise speaker, not only do you got to plan tasks that lead to conversation, when you finally get in the conversation, you got to understand someone before you want them to understand you. That's what, that's what gets us stuck in relationships, doesn't it? Our yearning inside of us as humans is to be understood, 100%. So much so, what happens is we short-circuit relationships because we want to be understood before we understand the person on the other side of us. I'll give you an example. So we'll point to Jesus here. Did you know that Jesus, in seeking to understand before being understood, asked 308 questions in the New Testament? Jesus asked 308 questions in the New Testament. That's almost 10 months' worth of questions before he ever gave answers, because he was the answer, let's be real. He was the answer to the test, but he still asked questions. He always asked questions. Anytime the disciples came to him with a question, he was seeking to understand, he would explain the parable with a question first, and then he would explain the rest. So for each and every one of us, we gotta seek to understand before being understood. We gotta ask the right question. We must talk in a way that helps the passion of those around us grow, helps the passion, helps who God created them to be grow, and we gotta seek to understand where they're coming for, from before being understood with our point of view. So, once again, free of charge, here we go. Gave you three conversation killers, here's three conversation boosters. Gonna roll through these. Like I said, today's gonna be a good day maybe to go back. So, three conversation killers now, three conversation boosters. You wanna ask some good questions? Here we go. The best meetings I've ever been in and the best teams I've ever been in have asked this question, okay? Here it is. What do you think? You want to be led well and lead well? Ask that question. It will create instant buy-in. It says that my opinion's not the most important. It says that we're in this together. It will sharpen each other. And it says that what you think might be better than what I think, but when you speak it into existence, we can build upon it and take a good idea and make it great. So I'm giving us, so anybody I lead at all, I'm sorry, I'm giving you all the answers to my test while I answer these questions a lot, <laughs> is this, what do you think? What do you think? That's seeking understanding before being understood. The second one is, what I hear you saying is, now tone matters in that, <laughs> What I hear you saying, <laughs> what I hear you saying is, like, that's different, right? Like, no, tone matters. Ask it as a question. What I hear you saying is, and then repeat back what you heard them say. Have you ever just had so much clarity in those conversations when it happens? Because if you're in a good relationship, they're going to be, that's not what I was saying. That's not what I was saying at all. No, I was not saying that at all. I was not saying that Krispy Kreme donuts are not good for you. No, I was not saying that. Not 100% at all, I was not. What if we looked at each other and said that more often because it shows that we were paying attention to understand where they were coming from before they could ever understand our point of view so that we can be understood. 
So what do you think? And what I hear you saying is, that, that is something that will help in every relationship. I'll be real with you. Number three, help me understand. You want to boost your conversations? Help me understand. So what do you think? Now, what I hear you saying you think is this. Now, help me understand where you're coming from here. Help me understand where you're coming from. Help me understand why you thought this was the right path to take so that I can walk with you through it. Imagine if that's how we led each other. Imagine if that. This says, I am for you. This is an I'm for you statement. In other words, I told you earlier as a teenager, I couldn't tell you how my day went because I could not articulate it. I couldn't tell you. Like if you really wanted to know, like just, just, just put on like, you know, just this, this screaming rock. That's probably what the day was. And then after that, follow it up with James Taylor because it was just a mix in between. Like it was just one of those things. Like all of a sudden, like that, that would have been it. So when you're walking through something that's struggling, sometimes you can't articulate it. So when you tell somebody, hey, help me understand, help me understand your feet, help me understand what you're going through, help me understand, it's telling that person, hey, I'm with you through this. And we may not be in the best place right now, but where we're going is exactly where God's called us to go. So help me understand what you were thinking. Parents, leaders of teenagers, imagine if we ask them, Help me understand where you're coming from on this. Help me understand why you thought that taking that guitar and bashing mailboxes in the neighborhood was a good idea. Like, does it make sense, right? Help me understand that. Now, what I hear you saying is you just wanted to have fun for a minute and the front yard's still not cut. And I think cutting grass is a lot of fun, isn't it? Like, right, right? So what do you think we should do next? See how that went? I wish I was perfect in those kind of conversations. Parents, you can throw stuff at me later because I don't have a child, so I can't tell you the 100% way that that works out. But I can tell you in relationships with each other, if we went about it that way, how much better would we be? How much more quality could we be? How much time could we sit at the same table and have differing points of view at the same table and yet still leave better than how we walked in? 100%. So the question that I've been asking myself for this, and you can ask yourself when it comes to seeking to understand before being understood is, what are the passions of the people around me? What are the passions of the people around me? Because if I don't know that, my opinion don't matter. It doesn't matter. If I don't know you, my opinion's not going to matter to you. It's just not. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. It's not. And you probably would say the same to me. But if we've earned trust, if we've earned attention between each other, all of a sudden, we know each other's passions. We know what we're passionate about. We know what we are. And so we can go forward together. Last but not least, when in doubt, say something encouraging. <laughs> How hard is that sometimes? <laughs> you did what? <laughs> I still love you. <laughs> you know, like that's so hard sometimes, right? Like when in doubt, say something encouraging. Listen, like I'm gonna give you a sports reference. Sorry, again, but you're gonna be able to go with it. I will tell you, when I went on the road to play an away game, I expected to be booed. I expected the opposing team to not like me. I expected the opposing fans to boo me. Where I didn't wanna get booed, was when I was at home, because if I got booed when I was at home, it meant something was stinky and something was wrong, right? Like, nobody likes to get booed at home. Here's what I'm going in. When people come to your house, when people come into your home, are you cheering them or booing them? Because if you're saying something encouraging, you're cheering them. You're cheering them on. You're cheering them on in that next step. You're cheering them on to say, I'm with you in it. But if you're booing them, 
Man, oh man, that is earthly wisdom and it will lead to turmoil and death, telling you 100% because they're not gonna listen. So what I've been asking myself all the way through this, this isn't the final or anything, but this is one of those things when I say am I cheering or booing somebody is I want every person that I interact with, when they go to bed at night, they know I'm on their team and they know that I'm with them. And they know I'm cheering them on to be exactly who God created them to be. Not who I want them to be, not who I imagine them to be, not what I think they should be. I want them to be who God created them to be. And when they go to bed at night, I want them to hear me cheering the loudest for them. That's why here at The Vine, we have fun. I want to tell you right now, we have fun. We try to have fun. It's not always easy. But I want to tell you, saying the wrong thing is the easiest thing to do. 100%. Saying what's wrong when you go in a room, it doesn't take a genius to do that. Saying what's right is even harder. It's harder to say what's right. It's harder to do what's right. As a matter of fact, it's, it's easy to say what's wrong. It's hard to say what's right. But cultivating the right, right way to go, cultivating seeking the kingdom of God first, plowing the hard ground, planting the seeds of the gospel in the word of God, and bringing it out into the community because you know the hope of the gospel is the only salvation of the world. Jesus Christ is the only one doing that, my friends, is leadership. And if you are a Christian, you are a leader. We should be cheering people on to be who God created them to be, not putting them down. That's the essence of what James is saying, 100%. And so when we go somewhere, that's what we have to understand because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us leading us and guiding us. So we got to make, when in doubt, say something encouraging. If you know anything about me, uh, I'm not great at having fun, but I love laughter. The reason I know that you love laughter too, parents who have kids, what do you look forward to? The crying or the laughter? It's the laughter, isn't it? Did you know that our heavenly father looks forward to your laughter too? He's with you in the crying and he's holding you in the crying. Goodness gracious, does he love being with you in the laughter. You see, the Holy Spirit speaks to me through laughter. I know that sounds crazy, and I know that that sounds nuts, but that's okay. That's just how God and I have a communication. Uh, we have our best conversations over laughter. Most of the time, it's, it's me being like Sarah when God said, you're going to have this baby, even though you're like 80-something years old. Like, even though you think your womb's closed up, you're going to have this baby named Isaac. Like, it's most of the time, it's me laughing. <laughs> you crazy. You, you wild, God. You crazy. This ain't going to happen. And all of a sudden, he's like, <laughs> watch me. And it happens. Like, it's one of those things. That's how my laughter works with God, but if you want to have fun in your life, if you want to say something encouragement, laugh, laugh. I can tell, listen, it's a guest speaker trick. I can tell the health of any team by whether they laugh at my jokes, even as corny as they can be. I can tell the health of any team, any room I walk in, anytime I've ever been asked to speak by whether they laugh at jokes. And if I start laying the jokes on hard, it's because I'm trying to get us healthy. Like if I start laying it on thick, I have been at places that said, hey, in church, you gotta be reverent. You can't tell a joke. And I wanna tell you, that's not the interaction I have with my heavenly father. So I'm gonna crack a joke. I'm gonna have some fun. We're gonna have fun. Because we say it at the vine, and I, I wanna tell you, I, I'm, I'm working to be better at it. I want us all to be better at it. But I want us to laugh out loud, laugh hard, and laugh often because we are with the people that we love serving God. We should laugh a lot. We should share laughter. Yes, we share moments of discouragement. But when we leave, we should feel encouraged, even in the discouragement, because we laugh. And times that we're in right now, Sometimes the best thing you can do is put a funny movie on. <laughs> you 
You want to turn all the news and the noise and the chaos of this world and tune it out? Put on a funny movie. Laugh at Christmas Vacation. Laugh at Cousin Eddie. You can have some fun. I'm giving you the freedom to do that today with your family. And even if you're going through some turmoil with your family, laugh together and watch how it opens and leads to conversation. So when I say this, I will tell you this. The reason you want to, when in doubt, say something encouraging is God didn't create you to be miserable. Sometimes that's hardest for the Christian to walk through, isn't it? Because we realize how close we were to death and how far his grace has pulled us out of the pit, right? We realize we were just a sinner in need of a savior, but I want to tell you, Jesus said he came to give us life and life to the full and create us to be miserable. If you're in an abusive situation, God didn't create you to be miserable. Get out of it. Get out of it. He didn't create you to be abused. He created you to be exactly who he created you to be. And that involves joy. That is a fruit of the Spirit, joy. So the question I've been asking myself on this, and I wish I was 100% on this grade, but I've been trying to ask myself to grow in this, is this. How do people feel after talking to me? How do people feel after talking to me? Do they say, man, I can't wait to see that guy again. I miss him. I can't wait to see that guy again. Or do they say, thank God. God, my phone battery died. Like I could not have any more conversation with that guy no more tonight. Because the thing that I will tell you, the reason that laughter matters, and parents, I want to tell you, you know this, the reason that laughter matters is if I can bring laughter, then I can more effectively bring correction. I'm not talking laughter and just fun and games all the time. I'm saying if we can laugh together, we can walk through the hard times together too. And that's why that is so important for all of us. So let's look and see what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy really quickly as he is telling each and every one of us uh, what we can do when it comes to our words. So 2 Timothy 2.15, a verse used a lot, but I want to end with this today as we're talking through this. And it says this, verse, uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of God truth. What I'm trying to tell you in this, the word of truth is the truth of the gospel, is who Jesus is, who he says he is to you. Correctly handling it is saying who Jesus is to you, how Jesus has impacted your life. If you want to have the best godly wisdom, heavenly wisdom, speaking wisdom, bring the most encouraging word, share who Jesus is to you. Share who he is to you. And I don't mean with a megaphone on a street corner in front of people you don't know, start in your backyard. Start in your family. It's not up to you, their obedience. It's up to you how you talk, though. And so what Paul is telling Timothy is don't be ashamed. Be, not, be, be ready to share the gospel by any means necessary. Share who Jesus is. And I'm telling you, when you do that with the people he's placed in your path, you're going to see they've either walking through the same thing you're walking through or they're just coming out of it. And you're going to see that he placed them in your path for a reason. So if we want to have the anchor point, Jesus is the anchor of our salvation 100%. But the way that we, that's how we love God, all right, with all our heart, mind, and soul, but the way that we love others as ourself and love our neighbor as ourself is the words we speak. Yes, it has to be followed up with action. But I can tell you how we struggle with words because I ask you at the beginning, what are the three words you would say the rest of your life if you could only say three words and they weren't yes and no? It took a long time for me to say God loves you because I'm going to tell you what, Tyler loves him some Tyler. <laughs> Tyler loves me some me. And uh, 
Nobody knows that more. I thank Jesus that he loves me more than I love myself every day. That takes a lot. It takes a lot for him to do that because he puts up with a lot for me because so he has to laugh. But for each and every one of us, I want you to see, I told you there are three conversations we have, social, family, and self, but I left one out. See, the conversation that we have, that's the fourth, is God talk. God talk. Did you know the very creator of the universe wants to have a conversation with you? Wherever you are, no matter what you've done, he wants to have a conversation with you. Not to rebuke you, not to condemn you. He wants to, he wants to help you be exactly who he created you to be. And the reason that I know he's not here to, to condemn you or to judge you is I go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis 3-9 when Adam and Eve has sinned. They were in a perfect relationship with God, remember? They were in the Garden of Eden. Everything was right. God said, you can do everything but eat from these two trees. They decided, man, whatever fruit it was, apple, pear, whatever they decided it was, whatever it was on the picture was more important than their relationship with God. So they turned their back on him. They ate of it, was deceived by the serpent. So now they are in sin. And all of a sudden, in the cool of the day, God comes. Did he come to condemn Adam? Did he come to rebuke Adam? Did he come to put him down from the beginning? Was he trying to just find something to throw at him to put him down? No, Genesis 3, 9, the first thing he did is he asked Adam, where are you? wanted to have a conversation with him. Where are you, Adam? He's seeking to understand before being understood, before he lays out how setting the groundwork for how Jesus is gonna come to reconcile us all back to him and be in a relationship with the creator of the universe. I want you to know the very creator of the universe loves you enough, he wants to have a conversation with you. So much so, he would rather die than to not be in a relationship with you. Doesn't matter what you did last night, doesn't matter what you're gonna do this afternoon. Doesn't matter your, your, your past mistakes or future failures. He wants to have a conversation with you right now because God loves you. And so my question is, maybe you're realizing that, that your words have not been heavenly in this moment. If you're in Christ Jesus, we're gonna be reminded in just a minute of who our anchor is and how he is our anchor. And if Jesus is our anchor, then we can speak words from our anchor point because we can act in the spirit. But for others of us right now, we are realizing for the first time that the very creator of the universe wants to have a relationship with us. We've tried it our way. We've tried all the social talk, trying to project the best image and it didn't work. We tried to be in our family and do the family business and it just didn't work out. And we tried to do the self-improvement self-help book, which that section seems to grow every year, doesn't it? Don't you think if one book worked that it would be shrinking, but instead the section grows, doesn't it? It grows. No, no, no. We've tried all the self-help and none of it's worked. So I just want to say, you've got one more conversation you can have today. And that's with the creator of the universe. You see, all of us were born into sin, separated from God, destined for death in earthly wisdom, but God loved us enough that he sent his one and only son to live the perfect sinless life we couldn't live. And you see, where sin is present, it can only be paid for by death, but not only did Jesus live the perfect sinless life for us, he paid the penalty for our sins by dying on the cross and loved us enough not to stay dead, rose again on the third day so that we could have life, have it to the full, be who we were created to be now. We don't have to wait to go to heaven to do it. We can experience heaven on earth now. We can speak heavenly wisdom now we don't have to wait to be the angels in the outfield we get to be angels right now we get to go and and speak that and speak life over those that he places in our path but it starts with a relationship with him that all starts with a conversation Jesus says it this way in Revelation three twenty: here I am 
I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. My question is right now, we're about to say a prayer together as a family. We pray out loud for the benefit of those coming to the faith. It's not the words of this prayer that would save you. This is simply a conversation with God saying that you believe Jesus is who he says he is. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm gonna ask everyone to please repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you came, lived the life I couldn't live, died the death I deserve on the cross for my sins, but loved me enough not to stay dead, but rose again so that I may have life. Come take over my life, Lord. Teach me to follow you step by step the rest of my life the best way I know how. And with every head bow and every eye closed, if that's for you and the first time you can say that you just had a conversation with God and have received by faith Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm gonna count to three and ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. If that's you and it's the first time that you've ever given your life to Christ, you believe he is who he says he is and you've received this free gift of salvation, you're gonna see a hand that's raised. If you're watching throughout the week, leave us a comment. If you need to talk to somebody and you're listening throughout the week, email us at prayer at divine.tv or reach out to us at 864-580-6698. We would love to celebrate and walk with you in this season. And for everyone else right now, you can look up and, and we're getting ready for worship. I'm gonna ask you to stand for worship in a second. But for those who just received the Lord, we're about to sing a song about who our anchor is in. And I wanna tell you when our anchor is in Christ, it doesn't matter what storm comes, doesn't matter what season we're in, we are held steady by the hope that we have in him. So today, I'm just gonna ask us, I'm gonna pray for a second and then we're gonna worship. I'm gonna ask us to worship like he's our anchor. So dear Jesus, thank you for this time that we get to be here today. Thank you that in you, we have life. In you, we have peace. Thank you that in you, we can sow seeds of peace and that will lead to righteousness, which will lead to life. But in this world, we will sow seeds that will only lead to turmoil and death. So Jesus, I pray the words that we speak would be your words of life. I pray that in this moment, maybe we've forgotten to speak your words of life. You would remind us in this song that with you as our anchor, our anchor point being our words, that we can go out and be released well into the world and share you to the ends of the earth. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now stand and sing with us.
Higher. 